welcome this evening. I want to invite you, if you have your Bibles with you, open up to the Song of Songs, also known as the Song of Solomon. Tonight, we finish it, just have a few verses to go tonight. Um, as we end our journey in the Song of Solomon, I want to remind you, Song of Solomon is love poetry written for us as wisdom literature, means it follows the same uh, um, examples as Proverbs, the book of Job, and as we look at uh, Ecclesiastes as well, as we look at the Song of Solomon as love poetry, it's intended to make one point. This type of lyrical poetry cannot handle complex stories or systems. So usually if we come to this and we try to build some kind of complex idea through it, we, you're missing the boat. It's not, it's not what's going on. What's going on is the celebration of marriage and union and love between a husband and wife. And recognizing that. The, the book also called Song of Songs because it's made up of several different songs, several different poems that are linked together by this commonality. The idea that we have uh, a man and a woman experiencing love and marriage and sexual union the way God intended it to be. And the celebration of it is to signify the beauty of it when it is uh, found in the, in the area that God wants it to be. Not outside, not uh, distorted as the world will distort things, but just understanding God's perfect plan and how He sees our relationships, how they ought to look. So as we look at it, you'll remember, it's made up of three parts. The song was probably sung before Solomon. We know that in Israel it was repeated throughout their feast day. So it was something that the, the people heard on at least an annual basis. Um, and typically would be performed as, with a male singer, a female singer, and a choir. The choir usually made up of all women. And that's the way the Song of Songs is divided. Now, if you've been with me from the beginning, I've been telling you, here's a man's part, here's a woman's part, here's the choir's part. In a lot of our Bibles, they try to help us too, right? And they'll say, you know, the, the Shulamite or Solomon or whatever words that they'll put in there. Those, Just so you know, those aren't in the Bible. Those are the translators trying to show you where the parts are. I've uh, done some extensive study on this book, and I feel like the, the divisions that I've been giving you are the most accurate that they have today. Uh, I don't want to bore you with all the reasons why, so I've just been uh, trying to delineate the parts. For me, as I went through the Song of Songs, I colored it. So the man's part I did in blue highlighter, the woman's part in pink, and the choir in red, just so I could see the difference of voices, so you can understand who's talking, who's singing, who is who is sharing, because sometimes that helps us understand a little bit more about what's going on. So I'm, I'm again going to do that for us tonight as we take a look at uh, these final nine verses uh, that we'll be sharing tonight. So we begin in chapter 8, verse 5. Chapter 8, verse 5, the very first part of chapter 8, verse 5, is the choir. We're going to read it all together. I'll try to give you the different parts, and then we'll take it apart. 
Who is that coming up from the wilderness, leaning on her beloved? And the woman responds, Under the apple tree I awakened you. There your mother was in labor with you. There she who bore you was in labor. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for love is strong as death, and jealousy is fierce as the grave. It flashes, its flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. And many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. If a man offered for love all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. The choir responds, We have a little sister, and she has no breasts. What shall we do for our sister on the day when she is spoken for? If she is a wall, we will build on her a battlement of silver. But if she is a door, we will enclose her with boards of cedar. Again, the woman responds in verse 10, I was a wall. My breasts were like towers. Then I was in his eyes as one who finds peace. The choir responds in verse 11, Solomon had a vineyard at Baal Hamon. He let out the vineyard to keepers. Each one was to bring for its fruit a thousand pieces of silver. The woman responds, My vineyard, my very own, is before me. You, O Solomon, may have the thousand, and the keepers of the fruit, two hundred. Verse 13, the man enters. O you who dwell in the gardens with companions listening for your voice, let me hear it. And she responds to him, Make haste, my beloved, be like a gazelle or a young stag on the mountains of spices pray. Father God, we thank you for your word, that every single word is absolute truth. God, that your word is the final arbiter. Lord, I pray that it would not be a a case in which we want to conform your word to our lives, but God, that we would conform our lives to your word. God, I pray that your spirit would be with us tonight. Open our eyes. Encourage us, Lord God, as we discuss the scriptures before us now, that we might recognize, understand our duty in responding to and encouraging the next generation to the the godly premise for marriage and sex. As if we don't, the world will. God, we pray that you would Uh, Just ignite within us, God, a fire uh, to follow you, to hold fast your precepts, to hold as the greatest treasure in our life, our relationship with you. And may we understand that in wisdom literature, it is Lady Wisdom who is calling us to follow her. Just as in the Gospels, it is Jesus Christ who says, come follow me. God, I pray you be glorified as we spend our time in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so we begin with the claiming of the beloved. Now, what we have here in the very first part, a description. And this description, sung by the choir, is of a woman who has found safety, security, and peace. And they begin that way because... The choir is going to ask, in a couple of verses, for um, advice. 
on what they can do to support their younger sister so she will be ready for her wedding day just as the woman in the Song of Songs was ready for hers. So before they ask the question, they, they describe her. They describe her and it says, Who is that coming up from the wilderness, leaning on her beloved? Now remember, one of the comparisons that we have in Scripture with the Song of Songs is the, the wilderness, this picture of the wilderness being the, the freedom of love and marriage. The freedom of experiencing that. Now before, she described her life as being a garden locked up, being watched over by her brothers, being behind a wall or behind a door, that her life is structured in such a way leading her to this day when we discussed when, when we looked over her wedding night. And then now... Uh, they say, look at who's coming from the wilderness. The, the idea is there's been a transformation in this young woman's life that has transformed her from the, the virgin girl to the wife and one day mother who is married to her husband. And so they're describing her as she come, look at this one coming from the wilderness. And still... You have this picture leaning on her beloved. Over and over again, the Song of Songs, you have a phrase that, that the woman shares. And remember, this is uncommon. The Song of Songs is a very uncommon book for the patriarchal days that the Bible was written in. Because the Song of Songs is written from the point of view of the woman. Almost entirely. Which is uncommon in other love poetry or things of the day, because you had a very strict uh, patriarchal society. But here, they're celebrating love and marriage from the viewpoint of the young woman whose life has changed now, living in her mother's home, uh, under the, the uh, confinement, if you will, of her father and brothers, to moving on in life, to life with her husband. So, they say, look at her, leaning on her lover. It's not a, a, an idea of diminishing her in any way, but rather saying, in a moment, we're going to ask her questions, and she's the one who can answer them because she just finished this journey. This transformation has occurred in her life. And so she responds, Under the apple tree, I awakened you. There your mother was in labor with you. There she who bore you was in labor. Now every time we have the apple tree, there's, it's a picture of, of sexuality. Oftentimes, in, especially in the Bible, that's a symbolic. A lot of times they'll say uh, in, the, in the prophets, we're going to do Isaiah next. And Isaiah and the prophets is going to talk about why is Israel running off into the trees with all of her lovers. Why, what's that language about? Well, it's because that's the 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 idioms for the day hey it's the apple tree i awoke you under the apple tree she's saying when we have celebrated our union as man and wife we have celebrated just like your mom did before you and the other thing that the apple tree signifies the apple tree is crooked i have four apple trees in my house i have zero apple trees now because i don't like picking up apples off the ground so, good news, the apple tree is not wasted. It's very good for smoking things and um, makes for a good fire. 
But one thing I can tell you about those apple trees, nothing on them apple trees was straight. Nah, nothing straight. Everything twisted and turned. You, if you have an apple tree at home, go look at it. And when you consider the apple tree, the other thing it symbolizes, not just the fact that they awakened love at the right time, but also that now their family begins. He references, or she references, his mother and says, just like your mother began her family under the apple tree with your father, here we are. It's now, now it's our time. Her and her husband, it's our time for our family tree. In fact, she describes it like that. She says, here your mother was in labor with you. Under this tree, she who bore you was in labor. The picture is to the growth of their family. In, in other words, as your family grew, husband, our family is going to grow. And so she's looking at that and considering it. And then she says to him in verse 6, So set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for love is strong as death, and jealousy is fierce as the grave. Now, I want to establish the picture of jealousy real quick. Scripture talks about God, one of God's names, is jealous. Uh, so when we look at jealousy in the scripture, we want to understand it. So, so let me give you a definition for jealousy. The fierce desire for faithfulness. The fierce, don't leave fierce out, desire for faithfulness. Our God is a jealous God. Hosea chapter 6 verse 5 lays out for us, right? The idea, what is God looking for from us? We're saying, what am I look, what, to Judah, what am I looking for from you, Judah? I desire faithful love from you. God wants their faithfulness in Hosea chapter 6. And the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. He's like, ah, it's great that you can... You know, offer your offerings to me, but I would rather you knew me. So, the idea, even in Hosea, is relational. So when we look here, I want you to understand what she's saying, and we'll talk about it in a moment as soon as we uh, uh, discuss the concept of seal, but the idea of jealousy is a fierce desire for faithfulness. That's God's intent for your relationship with Him. That's God's intent for marriage. Period. So she begins by saying, set me as a seal. Set me as a seal on your heart, a seal on your arm. And the concept of having a, a seal set to you did a couple of things. It, it showed ownership. It showed that you were spoken for. Um, that you belonged to another. Uh, and it, the idea would be similar to the phylacteries, right? When... When the Lord said, bind these things to your forehead, to the back of your hand. You know, they took that literally, so they developed phylacteries, right? You guys know what that is? A, it's a box that had scripture in it that they would tie to their head. And a box with scripture in it that they would tie to their hand. Still wear it today at their prayer time. And the picture of the phylacteries <clears throat> was an announcement, was a pronouncement that we belong to God. I belong to God. I am binding 
as a seal, His Word, to my head. So I'm going to think on His Word. I'm binding His Word as a seal to my hand, so I'm going to do His Word. The idea, the concept that Scripture laid out for him. So when she says, set me as the seal, she's saying, I want to be the seal on your heart. I'm the one through which you are going to express your desire and passion. Her. The wife. And I'm the one for which you're going to go out and live your life. Do the things you do. It's been said, every man does what he does for love of a good woman. That's a similar idea here. Set me as a seal on your arm. Set me as a seal on your heart. She, she wants it to, to, to be understood that she is stamped, if you will, into his arm, into his breast, even uh, the picture into his very soul. And so now she wants him to understand she possesses him as her own and desires complete faithfulness. That shouldn't be that hard for us to understand, right? I don't think any of us, when we come to marriage, say, you know what I want in a partner? Someone who's unfaithful. No? Nobody, nobody is striving for that mark. So when she says that love is as strong as death, that means that only death can stop it. We, we have that in our marriage ceremonies, don't we? We're, we're married how long? Till death do us part. The picture here laying out this idea, hey, love is as strong as death. And just like death is inescapable, right? It's appointed unto man once to die. Love is inescapable. God's concept of love and marriage was not the same as the world's idea is today. And I want you to understand that's not a new development because most of the world felt the same way then. It's not like the Roman world was, it was something new for there to be divorced or in the, the nation of Israel under Moses. It wasn't new. But it was not God's way. And we're going to see tonight as we look at this final poem of the, of the song that they're going to poke at Solomon. They're going to take a shot across the bow. Because Solomon's missing it too. Because he has his thousands What's that a reference to? So when we, when we look at it, what God is saying and what, it, what the woman is singing as she's celebrating her love and her husband is that love is intended to be monogamous. Completely. That love is intended to be once for always. And the idea that, that love is passionate and Here, love is passionately possessive. That's what she was saying when she said, I am my beloved's and he is mine. I'm his, 
he's mine. Paul says the same thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. This is not new concept in the scripture. It's not a new idea. What we want to understand, because immediately as from love being as strong as death, she moves on to the idea of jealousy. Jealousy, this fierce desire, this fierce desire for faithfulness. Jealousy is as fierce as the grave. And then it's described in the next part of the verse. It fla- its flashes are flashes of fire. All throughout Scripture, fire is a picture of judgment and God's judgment. So when it says the very flame of the Lord, it's talking about God's wrath against unfaithfulness. Now that's a problem we have in marriage today, no? But part of the reason is, I think, part of the reason is we're so uptight about it that we don't even want to hear about the song of Solomon. It's uncomfortable. They're going to talk about love and sex too much, and, and that's uncomfortable. And so we spend our lives not talking about it. We spend our lives not talking about the fact that God fiercely demands your faithfulness. And then if we are following Christ as Lady Wisdom, if we're following Christ as our Lord and Savior, and we're walking in His way, does He want less? Is He looking for unfaithfulness? No, He wants faithfulness from us. And since we are imagers of God, meaning that there are things about God that we ought to reflect, I would say faithfulness ought to be one of those things, right? Jesus said, they will know you are my disciples. How? By the way you what? Love one another. Was one of the key ingredients to love? Faithfulness. To be faithful. The Bible says faithful are the wounds of a friend. Right? Faithful love. And so this is a strong, strong statement about being faithful. Holding, holding your marital relationship and the love that you share and the fact that you've just moved from, from a life as, let's just say, you've moved from children to manhood and womanhood. You've seen this transformation take place. That's not something that's just supposed to be thrown away, cast to the side, or not cared for. It's something that, that faithfulness is is and needs to be taught. If we don't teach it, they will by every cartoon they watch. Every Disney show they see on Nick at Night or Disney or whatever things. I can't even believe the stuff that are on kids shows now. To be honest, if you're not teaching them, the world will. They will teach them. And they will teach them their way. They will teach them their way. Now, I'm just simply talking about the things that God commanded us. I'm not trying to make a statement about, you know, everybody needs to homeschool or nobody should be in public school or any of those things. Let me just say this. The Bible commands you to teach your children about God. I don't really care how they learn about math or English or science, if you want to teach them that, praise the Lord, do it. But don't neglect teaching them 
about God and what God wants for their life. Teaching them to celebrate marriage. Teaching them the value of marriage. Having frank conversations so that they know what they can expect. So that the anxiety of the woman that she shares in her song on her wedding night is not the first time she feels it or hears it is in that moment. Because if nothing else, we as parents have shared this text with our kids at least once a year in Israel. Song of Songs was read. So we want to understand. We want to see that God's desire for us is faithfulness. He wants fidelity from the man. And in this song, sexual devotion is demanded from the husband. Demanded. It's a part of what's going on. Then she goes on in her song to say in verse 7, Many waters cannot quench love. It doesn't go away. Like death, remember? Inescapable. Inescapable. Neither can floods drown it. You can't bury... No, the world won't tell you that. I must have talked to... If I've talked to one, I've talked to 10,000 people who told me they fell in love and then now they fell out of love. But the Bible says love doesn't end. Love doesn't stop. Can't drown it. Can't kill it. It's still there. So if our experience is different than what the Bible teaches, I would say then we have not followed Lady Wisdom into marriage God's way. That we have not followed the teachings of Christ to walk the way God is calling us to walk, to celebrate the union the way that God is calling us to celebrate. He goes on to say, or she goes on to say in verse 7, If a man offered for love all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly hated, despised. What's, what is she saying? Well, the Beatles said it. How did they say it? Come on. Money can't buy me love. Can't buy me love. Come on. I can't be the only one who ever heard Beatles. <clears throat> who? Yeah. I don't have any albums, but I have heard of them. So this is what she's saying. You can't buy it and you can't kill it. Because God's love is faithful. Aren't you thankful that God's love for you is faithful? That you're not going to do something where God says, yeah, you know what, that's it. You, you just messed up too many times. Do you know that the scripture declares, though you are not faithful, God says, he will be? The whole book of Hosea is about an unfaithful Israel and God's telling the story through a prophet who marries a prostitute and saying, hey Hosea, go get her. This is a picture of me going after Israel. I'm thankful that God is faithful. Now what does that mean? That means that these are one of those characteristics of God that we need to reflect in our life. How does that happen? How do we reflect these characteristics? How do we reflect the love of God? Romans 5.1 tells us the love of God is poured into your heart by the Holy Spirit. 
told us that if you being evil give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to who? Him who asks. That doesn't seem overly complicated, does it? Look, folks, here's the reality. In order to walk the path that God has laid out before me, in order for me to choose in my life, no matter what I've done in my past, you guys all know my story, so I'm, I'm no Prince Charming. But when I, make a, when I made the decision to follow Christ, I died to all the old, and I start saying, you know what, I'm, I want to walk the way Jesus wants me to walk. I want to love the way Jesus wants me to love. Now, that requires me to die to my own ways. Doesn't it? There's nothing in the biblical dis- description of marriage and love that allows you in any way whatsoever to be selfish. Ever. Nothing. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, husband's body doesn't belong to him, belongs to his wife. Wife's body doesn't belong to him, belongs to the husband. What is he saying? It's not about you. It's about what you can give to and for them, your spouse. It's not about you. It's what you can give to and for them. And it's this fierce loyalty toward one another. This fierce loyalty that says, no matter what happens, it's you and me till the wheels fall off. And by that, I mean the wheels can't ever fall off till you're dead. So this is what God's word is laying out. Now, all of us, we come through life. We all have our stories. We all have our journeys. And maybe we find ourselves, you know what? I've already messed that up. I already messed that up. I already made bad choices or I find myself in this place. What do I do now? Well, what did Paul say in in Philippians? He said, I don't live in the past. Forgetting those things which lie behind me, I do what? Press on toward the upward call of whom? Christ Jesus my Lord. I put my eyes on Him. What is Jesus saying? Just like Lady Wisdom in in the wisdom literature, she is saying, come follow me. Jesus to his disciples, what did he say? Come, follow me. That's why scripture says today is the day of salvation. Now is the time. Stop letting the enemy rip you off for what we've screwed up. We've all screwed something up. Don't worry about that. Stop using that as an excuse. Today's a new day. Let's move forward. Celebrating love, marriage, relationships the way God intends us to do it. Now the choir responds to her. They're going to ask their question. They say, we have a little sister. She has no breasts. It's a a way in love poetry of saying she's young. Okay, She's not of marriage age. What shall we do for our sister on the day when she is spoken for? How do we help her be ready on the day that she's married? She's young now. And one day she's going to get married. How do we help her? And then they respond. They give an answer (coughs) to what they're going to do for her. If she is a wall, we will build a battlement of silver. But if she's a door, we will enclose her with boards of cedar. What we want to understand is, sometimes people look at this and they say, well, 
if she's protective of her, her virginity, here's what we're going to do. If she's promiscuous, here's what we're going to do. That's, that's not what they're talking about. The language of wall and door all throughout the Song of Songs has all been terms of protection. So all the choir is singing is, if we use the analogy of a wall, we're going to build battlements, siege engines. We're going to protect her behind this wall so that the world cannot rip her off and lie to her so that she can't have or experience the things that God has for her. If we use the analogy of a door, it's not an opening, it's a door. The door is shut. In fact, if you remember earlier in the Song of Songs, the man was a little frustrated because she was where? Behind the door. Meaning, I want to be with her, but it's not time yet. I want to be with her, but the door is not open. It's only after the marriage ceremony that that door is open. So they're saying, look, we're going to protect her. We're going to enclose her. We're going to watch over her. For what purpose? So that she remains a virgin until the day of her wedding. So she don't get ripped off. Hey, I, uh, I'm, I'm sure somewhere in my past I screwed a lot of this up for people. Because I didn't really care. I was a thief and a robber. I came to rob, steal, and destroy. And it didn't matter to me if someone was married or they weren't married or what was going on in their life. And that's the attitude of the enemy. That's the attitude of the devil. He's come to rob, steal, and destroy. And I, that's, not the, that's not the life I want to be. That's not the person I want to be. And it's not the person I taught my children to be. Because when my children were coming up, I didn't lie to them or try to hide who dad was. I didn't try to pretend all that stuff never happened. We had frank discussions about why that's not the road to take. Because I know that they're going to hear the same things I heard. I know they're going to have the same desires I had. We have to teach those things. We have to teach those things so that we can protect our kids. Mine are grown. So now I can set my sights on who? Yeah, I got grandkids coming, so... I get round two, even if round one wasn't so good. And if I live long enough, I'm going to have great grandkids. So there'll be those opportunities. This is what the choir is saying. We're going to protect our sister. We're going to watch out for her. Most of the time today, if we try to do that, people get upset. No? And they say, quit judging me. I'm not trying to judge you. I'm trying to save you from judgment. Trying to spare you from the lies of the enemy that just want to take. Just want to take. That wedding night we read about in Song of Songs only can happen one time. Now, 
God's a God of redemption. Yeah? That's not my wedding night. And maybe for a lot of you it wasn't yours. But it doesn't mean God can't redeem us where we are right now. And make it so. But one thing's for certain. If we pretend, our kids are not dumb. I can't tell you how many times my boys look at me and say, Dad, you did. Yeah, I've done a lot of dumb things for which I should be in jail. Which one of those do you want to do? We have to have those conversations. We have to say, yeah, I did. And it's not God's best. God's best, trust me, is worth waiting for. You ever think about the story of Jacob? Seven years he worked so he could have Rachel. And Scripture says it seemed but a short time because of how much he loved her. That's real love. Real love values the other person for who they are, not for what they can take. And that's the point of love God's way. To value the person that God has given. So the woman responds. She says, I was a wall. So I was protected. She had protection. And my breasts were like towers. In fact, now she's saying because she has breasts. You remember she, she's leaning on her husband. So her pronouncement poetically is I was a wall. But now... I'm strong towers. Why? Because I'm fiercely loyal to who? My husband. It's just me and him. I don't, I'm not, I don't have eyes anywhere else. In fact, she says, Then I was in his eyes as one who finds peace. What's it mean? He was satisfied with her. She is satisfied with him. And together they have peace. That's marriage God's way. That's what it looks like. That's what it feels like. That's what it can be like. But it can't be that way and we have it our way. This is not Burger King. Jesus is King of Kings. And you have to have it His way if you want the best. You have to have it His way. So she finds peace with Him. So then they, the girls sing. Here's the jab on Solomon. Solomon had a vineyard at Be'el Hamon. Be'el Hamon. Nobody knows where Be'el Hamon is. Probably because it's a title. It's something they're calling Solomon. You'll see in a moment. Solomon had a vineyard at Be'el Hamon. He let out the vineyard to keepers. Okay, the vineyard is always a reference to love. And Solomon has a big vineyard. And he can't possibly take care of a thousand wives, can he? So who's taking care of them? Who feeds them? Who clothes them? Who watches over them? The people that Solomon puts in charge of the harem. No? And so this is what they're saying. He let out the vineyard to keepers. Each one was to bring for its fruit a thousand pieces of silver. Be'el Hamon. Be'el means Lord, literally it means Lord of the uproar. 
Lord of the uproar. Or maybe we should say husband of the mob. Because there's a mob, right? A lot of chaos, a lot of confusion. The, the choir is saying, Solomon, to Solomon, you know, poking a little fun, you got a thousand wives. And there's nobody on earth since the beginning of time who ever thought that was a good idea. And it's not like Solomon sat around and said, you know what I really need is, is another hundred wives. No, how did he get a thousand wives? 700 wives, 300 concubines. How did that happen? Well, how did he get his first wife? Made a treaty. With who? Egypt. And so he got a wife. That's how they made a treaty. Then he made another treaty. And another treaty. And another treaty. And another treaty. And he made peace with this king. And he made peace with that king. And he made peace with this land. And he made peace with that land. And he accumulated... This incredibly large harem. And the point of the choir is, Solomon doesn't know love as well as this man and this woman. Because he can't take care of his own wife. His vineyard's too big. Too much responsibility. She responds in verse 12. My vineyard is my very own and it's before me. My vineyard is my very own. What's she talking about? It's me and my husband until the wheels fall off. It's us. It's this circle. We have more than King Solomon. And that's the purpose. That's the point of the song. Oh, Solomon may have the thousand and the keepers of fruit, two hundred. So he's saying Solomon's got a lot and maybe even the people who are watching over the harem. They have... Hundreds, he has thousands. All I need, it's me and my beloved. For I am my beloved's and he is mine. That's the point that she's making. This is all I need. This is all that was intended from the beginning. A man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and the two become That was the intent. Does man screw that up? Yep. Uh, is that new? We've been screwing it up since Genesis, haven't we? Right? I can, st- I can show you in Genesis where guys started having more than one wife. Was that because that was God's best? Let me tell you the truth. God will tell you the truth about you. Do you know that? God knows the truth about you, and he's not afraid of the truth. So he tells the truth in his word. But God's intent, one woman, one man. And then we have the farewell. You have the tenor, the man, and the chorus. Together they sing, O you who dwell in the gardens with companions, listening for your voice, let me hear it. And the emphasis is, (coughs) you have, because they say, with companions, the, the man with companions, you with me? So together the choir and the husband are singing. What's the husband saying? Man, I can't wait to hear your voice. For the husbands in the room, when's the last time you said that? I can't wait to hear your voice. That's the heart 
of the man, the love that he has for his wife. Let me hear it. Let me hear it. I want to hear you. I want to see you. And then the woman responds. Verse 14, she responds to her husband. Make haste, my beloved. So she's saying to him, come. Be like the gazelle or the young stag on the mountains of spices. She's saying to him, come and let's make love. Come, let's be together. This is her response to him and that's where the song ends. The song ends with this picture. If you, if you wanted to, to make a video of it or whatever, it would be like the husband and the wife running off into the countryside to be together. The, the point of the song, the point of the celebration is just like that of wisdom literature. If we'll listen to Lady Wisdom, if we'll understand the things that God is laying out in His Word about how this is supposed to look, if we'll walk in obedience with Him, that's what He intends for you. That's what He intends for me. And He intends that for you now. This life. From this day. From your understanding of what God's Word teaches moving forward. This is God's purpose. Why do you think the enemy fights so hard against marriage? Because marriage from the very beginning has been such a great picture of who God is. He uses it to describe himself several times. Of Christ's relationship to the church. Of the Father's relationship to the Son. Scripture is replete with examples of God pointing to marriage and saying what a blessing it is. So what would we expect the enemy or the world, how would we expect that to respond, to pervert it? And that's what we see in our world today. The good news is, through obedience to God's word, we can reclaim what's lost. God's a redeemer. He's the one that helps us get back on track, right? There's a word for it. If I lose my way in Proverbs and I want to get on the right road, he says, repent, which means change your direction. Every change starts with the first step, right? And many times the first step is saying, I believe your word, God, and I want to follow you. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity to close this study in the Song of Songs, the Song of Solomon. Lord, we give you praise. We thank you. For what is uh, in the pages of this incredible poetry. God, I pray that we would take the challenge to heart. To be honest. Tell the truth to our children. That we would be honest with ourselves and not lie to ourselves. And try to walk the path the way you've laid it out before us, God. So that we can honor you. And so that we can experience the things uh, in love and in marriage that you intended them the way you intended them at the time you intend them to be. So God, I just pray that we would, wherever we find ourselves, hear the voice of the woman saying, 
Don't awaken love until it's time. Wait. Because true love waits. That we would hear that the love that we have for one another should be faithful, not frivolous. God, that we would recognize the beauty and the joy that you have can be. Though we live in a fallen world, though we are fallen men and women, though we have our problems and our issues, God, your commandments are your enablements. May we walk in obedience to you. May we say, Jesus, I will follow you. And you show us the way. Bless our relationships. Bless our journey. And be glorified, Lord God, as we walk in obedience to you. And we will praise your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.